This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You've tried out all sorts of diets, right? Right. What have you seen work? The first one to say there's no right diet, right? Uh, there's there's like the holy grail of fitness, in, which in my book is, is metabolic flexibility. When you develop this metabolic flexibility, you're able to burn off your stored body fat and arrive at an ideal body composition. Welcome back to the show, guys. I'm your host, as always, Sean Kelly. Got a great guest for you guys today, Mark Sisson. How's it going, man? It's going great. Good to see you, Sean. I know you sent me some shoes and I've been wearing them. Is yeah. that your main focus? Well, that's my main focus. You know, I've I've been in this health and fitness gig for 30 years writing about ways in which we can uh, optimize health. And uh, foot health has always been a uh, sort of a secret passion of mine. I was hmm. an endurance athlete in my 20s and one of the best marathon runners in the country. Nice. And um, But I was always sort of compromised by the shoes that were available at the time. Hmm. Uh, and as I got into other areas of health and fitness and started writing about diet and exercise and, and sun exposure and sleep, I sort of overlooked the whole foot health thing and, and shoe comfort. And then, um, I, after I sold my, my last company, Primal Kitchen, mm-hmm. I had, uh, time and I had the means, uh, with which to start this new passion project of mine, which mm. is to change the way the world walks. Wow. So I, I, my, my thesis is that modern footwear is horrible for feet, most modern footwear. Uh, most running shoes are bad for people and encourage people to run the wrong way and, and to develop injuries. Uh, and uh, so we kind of reimagined the concept of minimalist footwear and designed a shoe that's foot-shaped, that is wide but thin, flat, flexible, um, kind of combines the best elements of the prior efforts at minimalist footwear mm. into one modern approach that we think also looks pretty pretty cool nice yeah foot health is one of those things that isn't taught about isn't talked about no it's it's like as we say foot health is new sleep you know sleep (laughs) sleep was the big thing you know last year and and a couple years ago but we think foot health is this new thing look your feet are are your connection to the ground and how you move around this this earth um starts with your contact with the ground and it requires that your toes individually sort of articulate and feel the surface of the ground and be in a position to inform your brain how to land. Every time you take a, f- a step forward, the, the sensory input into your foot should tell your brain how to bend the, the ankle, how to flex the knee, how to torque the hip, how to, right. how to you know, um, bend certain muscles in certain ways to absorb the shock. And yet modern footwear bypasses all that information with big, thick, stiff, cushioned mm. you know, heels and, yeah. and soles that kind of um, 
they, they sound good and they sound like you're walking <laughs> on air and walking on a cloud. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but over time, they actually create uh, problems with a lot For of people. For sure. The amount of times I've rolled my ankle is, I can't even count. Well, and you roll your ankle because it's not strong. You, yeah. Because you, if you don't spend time barefoot then you, or in minimalist shoes, then your feet never develop. Those small muscles of your feet never get a chance to get strong. Mm. And the toes don't get a chance to articulate and, and, and the big toe in particular to get strong enough to push off with the right sort of gait. And so you wind up with these um, misshapen feet. I mean, people talk about bunions and plantar fascia yeah, yeah. problems and all these other things. But rolling an ankle is, is a common issue with somebody who's worn um, stiff-soled shoes for a long time and yep. has weak ankles because they just haven't used the muscles in their feet. Dude, I didn't realize how weak my ankles were so, until they had me started doing uh, stretches and PT for it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm just shaking standing on one leg right yeah, now. It's exactly. pathetic. Well, I mean, you know, it's pathetic and yet it's a, you know, it should be an aha moment. Like this is, this is something I need to deal with. And as, look, you're a young guy. As you get older, yeah. that shit gets worse. That's even know? worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so exactly. I'm 23 rolling my ankle every time I play basketball because yeah, they're so that weak. Is not good. Yeah. yeah. So I started walking around uh, barefoot and it helped a lot. Yeah, and it, again, I sent you some shoes, and if you spend yeah. some time in them, and, and you know, I, I hike now. I was a career runner. I ran, you know, 100 miles a week for seven years in my career. I was, I was all about the running, and then I realized that running is, is we're really not designed to run that way. Hmm. Yeah, we're designed to run a little bit in a sprint, but we're mostly designed to walk, and so now I spend, you know, most of my sort of aerobic time walking, hmm. hiking in the woods or walking even on, on pavement. Yeah. And, uh, but you have to walk the right way. You have to you have to be, you know, in a position to optimize your gait and strengthen your feet and legs and yeah, your, yeah. your entire kinetic chain while you're doing it. Otherwise, you know, it's it's almost a waste of time. Absolutely. You ever see those professional speed walk races? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. No, people can people can speed walk almost as fast as as people can run. I can see that. I mean, most people can't. What's interesting is you know you think about how how fast walking is and it's not that fast but most people can't run cannot run twice as fast as they walk twice as fast you know so if you walk a 16 minute mile most people yeah. can't run an eight minute mile for really? any, any length of time wow yeah right eight, eight minutes was always easy for me this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Yeah, well, same, but, you know, <laughs> we're skinny dudes, and, you know, but for most people, you know, pe people who are, uh, I think I read the other day, the average time for a marathon. Yeah. It's four hours and 40 minutes. And that's 26 miles. So. Yeah, that's like, you know, that's 10-minute miles. 10-minute miles yeah. for 26 miles. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty slow. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I don't want to demean people who, <laughs> who run marathons. but I'm a runner, too. Yeah, but, but you know, you, you get the fact that um, if you understand that, that uh, walking does not create injuries. Running creates injuries. Walking doesn't create injuries. You can walk you know, pretty much as far as you want, as long as you want, and you won't get injured. In fact, most runners recover from their injuries by walking. Right. You know what I mean? And so as soon as you start running again, and particularly if you're a heel striker, and you, yeah. which is not the way to run. We, we were not. So where are you supposed to land? Then? You're supposed to land when you run. Proper running form is to run on the midfoot. Okay. You know, and if, again, if you're a, 
uh, a thin person who has good running technique and good running abilities, then that comes naturally. Mm. But the problem with running shoes for most people is these thick, thick, thick soles encourage people to heel strike mm. because it you don't feel anything. Right. You don't feel anything immediately, but then over time, over time, all of that energy goes up to your hips, and so people don't get they don't get foot problems, but they get maybe ankle problems or knee problems or lower back problems as a result of the bypassing all this information. Yeah. You know, like when you run barefoot, if you run barefoot on concrete, your body automatically uh, tells you, you know, your brain tells you how to land. You land softly, you run quietly, you run on your tiptoes. There's no way you could run, you could, you could heel plant yeah, no, uh, barefoot on concrete. You'd stop after three steps. Yeah. So that's the ideal way to run is, is, is midfoot. But these modern running shoes sort of, again, they, they just don't encourage that and they encourage heel striking. So we're trying to change all that, Sean. So as a former professional runner, you're basically advocating against running. I mean, it, it sounds like that, doesn't it? And, yeah. I, and, I, and I am. I'm advocating against it for, for those people who, sh who probably biomechanically or, or physically should not run. Mm. I mean, people who are 30 or 40 pounds overweight probably should not run a marathon. And if they do, they should, you know, like, I'll train you once. To, you, know, you could say you did it and ran a marathon. But, but it's much more uh, physically appropriate to be doing... Uh, walking or hiking long distances that way, particularly if you're intending to lose weight. Like right. running is actually not a good way to lose weight if you're somebody who's overweight. It's, really? it's a horrible way to lose weight. Yeah. Well, because, because you, the, the calories that you burn uh, in whatever workout you did, mm -hmm. the brain kind of goes, hey, hey, man, we just burned off you know, 600 calories. We got to eat. We got to replace that. And so there's no, there's no mechanism by which you can run off all of the calories and then not eat them and not consume them, which is why you see over time, you see over years, over decades, you see people who have been running a long time and still have the same 20 or 30 pounds to lose. Wow. Because it's mostly about diet at that point. Yeah, so let's dive into that because you've tried out all sorts of diets, right? Right. What have you seen work? Well, so um, I've seen a lot of things work. Uh, so there's no, I would say, I'm the first one to say there's no right diet, right? There's no... But there are, uh, there's, there's like the holy grail of fitness, which in my book is, is metabolic flexibility. Mm -hmm. You develop a metabolic flexibility. And what that means is that's the ability of the body to burn for energy whatever substrate happens to be available. Could be the, the fat on your body, the body fat. Could be the glycogen in your muscles. Could be the fat on your plate of food. Could be the, the carbohydrates on your plate of food. Could mm -hmm. be the glucose in your bloodstream. Could be the ketones that your liver makes in the absence of glucose. When you develop this metabolic flexibility, you're able to burn off your stored body fat and arrive at an ideal body composition. Hmm. How do you do that? Well, metabolic flexibility, first of all, you have to be good at burning fat. Right. Most people are good at storing fat, <laughs> but they're not that good at burning fat. Yeah. And that's partly because their whole life they've been eating a very carbohydrate-rich diet, and the body tends to want to burn off the carbohydrates mm -hmm. first. It doesn't want to burn the fat. Body looks at fat and says, you know, this is an emergency fuel. We better not use it, you know, um, on, on a whim. We should probably be burning off the readily available carbohydrates. Well, right. our diets are so, so carbo-high now that people never tap into that ability to burn fat. So what we do in a lot of instances when you're developing metabolic flexibility, like the keto diet, for instance, or the carnivore diet, are two examples of where you withhold carbohydrates. And then the body sort of has to go, well, if I'm not going to get any carbohydrates, 
and I'm not going to have any glucose, and I'm not going to store any glycogen. I better learn how to burn fat. Mm. And we have this information in our genes. Everybody has the information on how to burn fat. It's just that if you never develop that skill, like any other skill, then you continually add fat over a lifetime, and you never burn off the stored body fat. Right. So this creation of metabolic flexibility would say, okay, if I withhold carbohydrates, either by eating a keto diet or a carnivore diet, or if I skip meals, or if I, you know, if I, if I intermittently fast, which is another way of going long periods of time without taking in carbohydrate, mm -hmm. then the body builds this metabolic machinery to become more efficient at burning fat and to become more efficient at using ketones as a fuel for the brain. So it's an amazing uh, sort of skill that we can develop in this, in this arena of metabolic flexibility. And once you have that, then things like appetite and hunger and cravings, they dissipate because mm. you're, you're, you have those hunger cravings and, and you have that appetite because the brain thinks that you're running out of fuel. So it's all mental. So, so when, you, when, you're, when your body is able to access these other energy sources, then there's no frantic message from the brain, we have to eat, we have to eat. Mm. The brain goes, hey, we, you know, I'm burning off body fat. This is great. I'm burning the ketones that my liver makes. This is amazing, and I don't need to eat. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the, it's not a problem, but one of the things that people say uh, in terms of developing metabolic flexibility is sometimes they go, oh, dude, I haven't eaten for a day. <laughs> I forgot to eat because yeah, yeah. I wasn't hungry, and I didn't need to eat, and so maybe I should eat. You know, that's, yeah. that's a gr again, a great, <laughs> it's a very, empowering, a very yeah. empowering uh, uh, place to find yourself. I think I might have developed it by accident because I used to eat breakfast every day. Yep. And at first it was tough to stop. I would get the message from my brain to eat. But then when I started intermittent fasting, you know, that's kinda... the first thing that goes for a lot of people. Yeah. Intermittent fasting. You wake up in the morning and go, I'm not hungry. Like I have this energy and I don't yeah. feel like eating. Exactly. And if I don't feel like eating, then really, why should I eat? Because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of wasteful to eat. Mm -hmm. It wastes time. I mean, <laughs> breakfast takes time. It takes time. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, if my brain is firing on all cylinders because I'm using ketones and I'm, and I'm burning fat for, for my muscular activity, then that's a, a beautiful state to be in. That's also a, a place where most people are undergoing a certain type of, of internal repair called autophagy, where, mm. the, where the body starts to do some uh, house cleaning and repairs uh, damaged cells mm. and takes op the opportunity of not having any food around to combust or burn up damaged fats and proteins and use them as fuel and get rid of them so they're not, uh, they're not causing uh, scar tissue or precancerous situations. Wow. And, you know, growing up, they're, taught, they're teaching us to eat three meals a day. Breakfast is the most important meal, yeah. you know. Do you think Americans are just eating too much in general? That's a great question. And, and, and the answer is 100% yes. Like, I think everybody eats too much for the mm. most part. I mean, we can talk about the, the you know, the, the 1% or 2% of, of us in this field who know uh, exactly how much it takes to get through a day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think most uh, people look at life, because we have access to so much food, they look at life like, okay, what's the, what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight? Yeah. Right? What's the biggest meal I can order here and not feel gluttonous or not feel bad about myself? What's the biggest piece of cheesecake that <laughs> I can have and not, you know, not, not feel bad? And so people go through life thinking, okay, I'm going to eat as much as I can, I want, a, I want a fast metabolism so I can burn it off, so I can eat more. And years ago, I did a thought experiment. I said, well, you know, that's really interesting, but, but what if you flip that on its head and you said, what's the least amount of food I can eat 
and maintain muscle mass or even still build muscle mass, mm. have all the energy I want, not get sick, and most importantly, not be hungry. Because mm -hmm. hunger kind of ruins everything. So if you ask that question, what's the least amount of food I can eat and maintain muscle mass to have energy, not get sick, it, it, it turns out it's probably 30 or 40% fewer calories than you think you needed wow. to get through life. Now, what's the difference between that 30%? Some people, some people, it never manifests itself as an increased weight gain. They just sort of, their body revs up their metabolism and they burn it off through what they call the thermogenic effect of food or they, th their body just temperature runs at a higher level because they're always trying to, the body's always trying to burn off these calories. Some people store that excess as, as body fat, but insidiously over time. So it might be a half pound, a pound a year, but you know, in 10 years, that's 10 pounds. In mm -hmm. 30 years, that's 30 pounds. Um, yeah, so I think people generally eat too much food, and I think they'd be surprised if they did this little experiment at how, uh, at how little food they need to, to not just survive, but thrive and feel good. Yeah. And again, if you, if you get hungry, forget it. It's not working. Mm. So the whole thing is how do you control hunger, and you control hunger by developing this metabolic flexibility. How long would you say it takes to develop that on average? Uh, I would say that 80% of the results come in the first six weeks. Okay. And then, and then because you've, begot, you've gotten such uh, fast results, the rest of it takes longer. Yeah. Uh, maybe another you know, six months to get, to get another 10 or 15%. But look, 80% of, that, of yeah. that benefit coming in just six weeks of it's doing a lot. that. I mean, I say 50% of the benefit comes in the first three weeks. Just, just wow. being really um, you know, uh, intentive about, about your strategy and mm -hmm. sticking to it and paying attention to the signals and understanding when you're actually hungry versus like when you said you were a breakfast guy for so long, yeah. part of that was you were just habituated to breakfast. Sure. It wasn't even that you needed to eat. I didn't even like breakfast. Right. <laughs> it was just that you were habituated yeah. and it was just, okay, that's what I do. And like a chore almost. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, you know, if you break down what it takes to maintain muscle mass, to maintain energy, it's not, it's not like 120 grams of protein a day eat for someone like you or for someone like me. It's not even, it's not 180 for anybody, mm. but it's probably not less than 80 for any. So, you know, that 100, 120 grams a day, well, that's only 480 calories of, of protein. There's usually some fat attached to protein if you're having mm -hmm. eggs or, or steak or something like that. Um, and then if you're cutting back on grains, if you're not eating bread, pasta, cereal, you know, cooks, cookies, cakes, candies, desserts, <laughs> soft drinks, then you're kind of uh, relegated, I, I would say, to eating fruits and vegetables. But you can't get a lot of, uh, of carbs eating copious amounts of fruits and vegetables. Right. And then the rest, you fill in the rest with some, some healthy fats, some butter, some olive oil, some avocado oil, things yeah. like that. And, you're, and you, you've, you've handled all of the nutrient requirements, all the macros you need. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, maybe for some people it's around 2,000 calories. Certainly not 3,600 or 4,200 calories, which is what I see uh, people consuming here at the, uh, <laughs> at the buffets. Buffet. <laughs> in one meal? <laughs> in one meal. I've been guilty of that before. Yeah. So you're not a fan of that saying where one gram of protein for every body pound or whatever? Well, but if, if you said one gram for every pound of lean mass, you know, um, in my case, that might be 140 grams. Okay, okay. That's, that's in that same arena. And if you take a... a you know, if we if we if we take the outliers like the the three hundred pound bodybuilder that has two two percent you know fat yeah um, of which there are very few in this world you know then maybe three hundred grams a day is appropriate but 
for the for most people, it, it fits in that range of like minimum of 80 to a maximum of 150. Right. And if you settle in around on an average of 120 grams a day, for most people, I think you'd be well served. I was only giving that example to say, even at 120 grams a day, that's only 480 calories. Right. You know, and then if you fill in the rest with some vegetables, and you're not going to eat, you're not going to eat 600 calories worth of vegetables. No, that's too much. You know, and and then what? The rest is fat, and the fat comes from either the fat in the meat, uh, or the the oils in the dressings, or the butter that you cook the food in, or whatever. Yeah. We've talked about diet, talked about benefits of walking. What about sleep? You know, I'm a big fan of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm 70 years old, and I have never pulled an all-nighter in wow. my entire life. That's impressive. Including college, including going to you know, clubs yeah. in my youth, including to, uh, rages and raves and everything else. I, can't, I cannot abide not sleeping. It's just, <laughs> it's just not in my... DNA, and I think it's a it's a survival mechanism that a lot of people kind of bypass and overlook. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and I'll, you know, I will be forced to stay up late sometimes, like you know, one thirty, two thirty, something like that, maybe at, at the max. But the problem is, I wake up at the same time every mm-hmm. day, you know, so I don't get the eight or nine hours of sleep that right. I that I that I would like to get. So that's, um, I think, sleep is the is is a really you know, and it's. Obviously, you've been reading a lot about it in the last yeah. five years. It's the new, again, it's the new big thing. But no, foot health is the new <laughs> big thing by uh, surpassing sleep. But sleep is, is critically important. For the longest time, you know, it was overlooked. But I think people are, are you know, recognizing yeah. that. And it's good. It's good to have the, you know, the excuse that it's okay to sleep. It's okay know, to go right? to bed early and, and maybe sleep in a little bit. It's so dumb. I remember in high school, you were like considered cool if you only slept like four or five hours. Yeah. It's like, oh, you slept at 9 p.m.? You're a dude. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I used to get hate on. But uh, I want to dive into Primal Kitchen. I mean, yeah. built that to a $200 million company in three, three and a half years and then exited. Yeah. I mean, that's some of the fastest growth I've ever heard of. Well, you know, it was it's a 40-year overnight success story. Mm. So for... 40 years I've been writing about diet and exercise and health and fitness. And, and I started Mark's Daily Apple, my blog, in 2006, um, where I really focused on diet. I mean, I talked about sun exposure and sleep and play and lifting weights and, and cardio and all the other things. But, but it was really kind of focused on food. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, um, I was writing. Every Friday we, we'd have a recipe about how to make your own whatever. And usually it was some... It was some um, sauce or some dressing. Mm-hmm. Because what I realized from the work that I did and the investigation into the primal blueprint and the way of eating, which was basically real food, natural food, when you get rid of pies, cakes, candies, cookies, uh, grains, pasta, cereal, and you come down to you know meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, mm-hmm. maybe some st- starchy tubers, it's not a big list of food. And what makes the difference is the sauces, mm. the dressings, the toppings, the methods of preparation. That's what makes this way of eating sustainable. Right. And then there are infinite ways to make them, which are amazing, but you have to incorporate these herbs and these spices. And then I realized um, we, were, we were offering up a recipe you know, every, every Friday. I even published a book uh, in 2011 called uh, The Primal Blueprint, Healthy Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings. And I thought this is going to crush, you know. Uh-huh. And I and I was a publisher, so I printed fifty thousand copies. 
and we because I had sold a hundred thousand copies of the of the Primal uh, okay. Blueprint, the earlier book. Yeah, I'm like I'm we're riding the crest here, and uh, I sold like six thousand copies. <laughs> yeah, and I realized no people don't want to make these sauces and dressings; they want to buy them. And so in 2014, I thought, you know, this is this is kind of crazy. Um, people get that they want to eat clean, but there are no. You go to the grocery store, and there are no clean condiments, and there are mm -hmm. no clean mayonnaises, and there are no clean salad, really clean salad dressings. I mean, Newman's Own, which was sort of the, you know, the, I, I would say the cleanest of the offerings at the time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you go and open up the, you look at the, the uh, ingredients and it yeah. would, for like extra virgin olive oil dressing. And that was like the fourth type of oil after <laughs> canola, ah, soybean. And I'm like, oils. dude, you know, it's like all the seed oils. So um, the timing of, of Primal Kitchen was right because I, we, this community, had spent the prior five years talking about seed oils and how bad they were, mm. talking about the benefits of avocado oil, of extra virgin uh, olive oil, and, and the good oils, and wow. differentiating them. And so when we launched our first product in March of 2015, it was an avocado oil-based mayonnaise, mm. and it just took off. It was incredible, the, the, the growth that we had. Um, you know, we, it, was a, it was just one product, and, and that first year... You know, we projected that maybe we'd sell three hundred thousand dollars worth of product, and we sold a million seven. Nice. And so going into the next year, we're like, "This is, it's, it's going crazy." Well, like, like, what can we do this year? And we started adding a few salad dressings, and we started adding some, some more um, different flavors of mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. And we're like, "Are we being greedy if we if we predict that we're going to do six million <laughs> this year?" And we did six million by June. <laughs> yeah. So then we we pretty much you know we I think we did eleven something that year, and 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 so it grew rapidly. Now, one of the reasons um, that, I, that I sold it was I realized that that, that kind of growth uh, is not sustainable for a startup that doesn't have access to a lot of capital, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the resources, like the distribution resources and things like that. So by the end of um, 2017, uh, we knew, my, my co-founder and I knew that we were going to be selling it. And so mm -hmm. we started looking at, at who um, the partners would be. And then by maybe April of 2018, we put it out, we, 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 put, we didn't put it out to bid, but we, we were started to really hone in on what, um, who, who our best partner would be. And nice. Kraft Heinz became that partner. Nice. And it's been amazing. I mean, we, they acquired us, uh, January 3rd of, of 2019 and have been nothing but supportive. We kept the entire team, we kept the headquarters in Oxnard, nice. uh, California. We have all of our same co-packers and manufacturers. We buy the ingredients the same way. Um, you know, Kraft Heinz is a large company that that acquires different brands, and they acquired us because they saw that we were a leader in that whole area of better for you sauces and dressings and toppings. And my my mission was to change the way the world eats. Nice. That goes back to Mark's Daily Apple, two thousand six. I just want to change the way the world eats, whether by in information, education, um, by seminars, by books, by um, podcasts. And ultimately, it was through a food company that got more and more people interested in better-for-you condiments. And yeah. they read the label and go, oh, my God, I, just, I didn't realize that my, my other ketchup had high-fructose corn syrup and all yeah. this other crap in it. And this one is, you know, quote, clean. Yeah, man, I'm glad you got people off seed oils because they're so bad for you. Well, they're still on them. I mean, you know, we still see a lot of people... Um, who haven't gotten that message right, yet? Right. I mean, and, I meant on your products, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, uh, yeah, certainly on, on ours. <laughs> that was 
that was always the directive was, you know, no bad ingredients, yeah. no harmful ingredients. And I'm happy to hear Kraft didn't make you change the ingredients because... This was an assumption that people had, big food is going to come in. I and, see that. Everywhere. You know, and, and so I got, you know, some hate for, for, the, for selling out early. But um, the company's grown more rapidly through them than it could have with, with my personal guarantees <laughs> against loans, against my house, yeah. and, and everything else. Oh, you went all in. Oh, I went all in. Are you kidding me? I was, I was all in. I was the only investor uh, until— Oh, you self-funded? Yeah. Funded it, yeah. So th there's a point at which you go, you know, this, this, is, this is pretty scary to have, you know, $10 million that I don't have, uh, you know— that I owe on a line of credit because I'm buying up all of the avocado oil in the world <laughs> uh, yeah. so that somebody else doesn't get it. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. I saw this thing on Instagram. Most avocado oils have seed oils in them. Yeah. Well, so that's an interesting, um, there's a, a UC Davis has been doing a study over the years. They yeah. started with uh, extra virgin olive oil and they discovered uh, adulterated olive oils. And so mm -hmm. that became a big scandal in the olive oil industry for a long time. Wow. We started testing our oil from day one. We were aware of the possibilities, and so we have we've had third-party independent testing of our oils from mm. the beginning, um, and then they they test not only for what they think are adulterated uh, adulterating oils, so so people might uh, cut a um, you know a walnut oil or an avocado oil or even an olive oil with safflower or much cheaper oils. Yeah, you know, um, so there's a profile that you can uh, that you can see on a on a gas chromatograph that will identify fat, different fatty acid profiles. And so you can sort of create, you know, see, see what it is that's in there and see if it matches the spec for true uh, virgin avocado oil, for mm -hmm. instance. But they also test for um, uh, peroxide value, which is a measure of rancidity. So mm. uh, oils that have been uh, opened and left open for a while or that have been uh, bottled in, in a clear bottle versus a, uh, you know, a dark bottle. Oh, that uh, matters? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these oils, the, the, the interesting thing is that the, the better the oil is for you, the more volatile it is, the mm. more easily it goes rancid. Because it's, it's the things that make it um, healthful when it's pure and, and natural and fresh yeah. that can, can go against you when these, um, these unattached bonds get, get uh, saturated or, or trans-saturated and then become, uh, or, or get... Um, rancid as a result of this exposure to oxidation, things like Interesting. that. Interesting. The best olive oil I ever had was in Greece. I could drink it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't drink good olive oil because it, it sticks in the back of my throat. It really, but that's that's a measure. The bite that a that an olive oil has is, yeah. is a measure of how good it is. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, it's been a pleasure, man. What's next for you? You're seven years old, got a new <laughs> business. You want to retire ever? Well, I tried to retire after I, <laughs> after I sold Primal Kitchen. I tried to retire and it did it didn't work, and that's okay. why. This this foot, uh, this this shoe business, this footwear, this foot health has been a passion of mine for a long time, and I'm like, okay, this is this is the timing is right. Like as I'm sure you have heard from other guests on your show, in business you have to have a great idea, you have to have a good team, but timing is also really critical in 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 when you bring your product to market. Right. And I think there's a real opportunity here to educate the world on the importance of foot health, uh, on the importance of it, it, not just in terms of you know, general health, but balance, you know, over as you, as you get uh, older in your lifetime. I mean, that's balance is a big thing for me now. Yeah. I don't want to fall and break anything. No, know? I know people that are, have died from falling at an old age. It's yeah. Crazy. No, it's uh it's, it, it's a real thing. It's, it's a thing. So, you know, and then, and I, I just think people want to have 
access to mobility for as long as they can. They want to be able to walk. I see people in their 30s and 40s that are limping now. Wow. Partly because they can't do the work uh, all the way up the kinetic chain because they, their feet are in such bad health, they can't get that first ground contact to work in their favor. And so the balance, the imbalances then compound as you go up the kinetic chain. Mm. Time to stop that. Crazy. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Mark. Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah, thanks for watching, guys. Check out Paluva Shoes if you care about your foot health. And thanks for watching.